Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Joining me here for the first CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation of 2023. Glad to have back with me Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jason, here we are right back at it. Hope you had a nice, restful holiday season. Happy New Year. Great to be back with you to kick off the year. Good morning and Happy New Year, Dan. Uh, yeah, it feels like, at least in New York City, it's been um, very warm to start the year. So it feels like we've, uh, we're have off to a good start from that perspective. Hopefully that's a, a good omen for the markets this year is after a difficult 2022. Very well put, Jason. Yes, I know we're coming off what was a challenging 2022, and we spoke a lot about that towards the end of the year in our prior CIO strategy snapshot conversation to close out 2022. But again, here we are, fresh off the holiday season. We're making our way through the very early days of 2023. And of course, it's not too soon to experience important market catalysts that have a lasting impact, which was the case last January. Thinking about the FOMC minutes at the time, do you see any particular early catalysts, Jason, that could set the tone, so to speak, for the markets here in the new year? Well, if we think about you know, the tone setting last year, I think it's a good example of how it really sort of you know, began very early in the year. On the first trading day of uh, 2022, well, it was a Monday, the S&P hit an all-time high of 47.96. Um, and it was pretty much downhill from there. And really, the, it began, the real pain began two days later uh, on the Wednesday when we got the December 2021 FOMC meeting minutes, uh, which is when the Fed you know, said, at least in the minutes, that you know they are likely to raise rates faster and, um, and sooner than the market was expecting at that time. Now, you know, still relative to what they ended up doing, less than people were thinking, but definitely began the hawkish turn that really became the tone for all for the whole year. And so the markets you know, sold off that day, and it really became the story of, of basically the Fed having to raise rates aggressively, tighten financial conditions to deal with this inflation problem. Fast forward a year, you know, the question in, that I posed in the blog is, could something you know, happen in, early in the year in terms of data or something else that would sort of also set the tone, similar to what happened last year? Well, it was unlikely to be the December 22 FOMC minutes. Uh, we got those yesterday, and the market kind of you know, sort of shrugged and you know, didn't, didn't view it as a big deal. It wasn't surprising because the Fed is already well in its way of a hiking, pretty close to likely being done. Uh, and so unlike last time where it sort of surprised the markets in terms of how hawkish the Fed was, this time in the, you know, the Fed basically told us what they already have been telling us for, for many months now. So that really wasn't kind of new news. Uh, what I did suggest on the blog is that there is a potential you know, data points or data point in particular that could really help sort of you know, set the tone for the market this year, and that is from the market and specifically wage growth. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, we, on Friday, we will get the December payrolls report where we'll you know, get the number of new jobs created. But I think what the investors will really be focused on is wage growth. If we go back to last month or you know, early December when we got the November payrolls report, it was another strong you know, number with 200,000 plus jobs created. But the thing that really stood out was average hourly earnings growth which was expected to be on a month-over-month basis increased 0.3%, which would analyze it would annualize it to around 4%. Instead, it was 0.6%. And if you then looked at the trend over the prior three months, you were sort of annualizing to inflation more like 55 to 6%, which is far above what I think the Fed would believe is necessary to get inflation down. But it's still a sign of the labor market being you know, too hot and wage growth being too high to get close to the 2% inflation target that the Fed wants. 
So when we get the December payroll reports, the focus really is going to be on that, that wage growth because if it ends up moderating back down to around 0.3% where it had been the prior couple of months, investors can look at the December number and say, okay, that was an anomaly, some sort of quirk in the data. You know, the trend throughout last year has been moderating. We're sort of back on that sort of gradual moderation trend. Uh, and therefore, that, that's kind of the positive side of the story. If it still is quite elevated, if it's still 0.6%, 0.5%, it would suggest that there's no real signs yet of moderation in wage growth, which is a problem because that's the one part of the overall inflation story that we haven't really seen clear improvement. On the good side of the economy, goods inflation is coming down quite rapidly. Actually, we probably get disinflation for a time period in many parts of the good sector. Shelter, which comprises roughly a third of different inflation measures, you're seeing that starting to, to get better because of housing prices are declining. Um, rental rates, at least new rents are coming down, or at least they're not rising nearly at the level they did before. And in fact, in some cases, it looks like we're seeing rents coming down. This will take time to filter into the inflation data, but all the leading indicators from the shelter side suggest it's going to fall uh, later this year. What we're not seeing is on the wage front, which is really the key for the non-shelter services part of inflation, which is roughly 50% of the inflation basket. So if wage growth can't come down or doesn't come down, it's hard for inflation to go you know, uh, back close to the 2% target. It likely will hit a floor somewhere around you know, 4%. So the data that we get for the payrolls report and the wage growth in particular may not be quite the impact that the FOMC meeting minutes had last year, but it could sort of you know, set the tone in terms of this inflation problem is, is, is getting better or it's going to be more of a struggle than investors expect. And, and one is good news or relatively good news. One is relatively bad news. What we have seen thus far with some of the labor market data from the jolts job openings on Wednesday to the initial jobless claims on Thursday and also the ADP jobless uh, new jobs for December, all that suggests the labor market is still, still relatively strong, no real signs yet of slowdown in that data, which extrapolated into the, the payroll data would say we should get another strong you know, jobs growth. The key question then is on the, the wage growth. And while it's expected to moderate, that is really what the, the focus will be on for that particular data point. So, Jason, we're recording here on Thursday, January 5th at this point, just about two and a half, three trading days into the year. Investors often start putting money to work right away after being on the sidelines towards the end of the prior year. Does the price activity, Jason, across the markets we've seen thus far indicate anything about what investors are thinking or doing? Well, there has been historically something like the January effect, where you see in the first week or so of the year, the equity markets kind of you know, rally because you know investors sold, maybe did tax loss harvesting in December. The new year comes about right away; they're willing to put that cash to work. Now that effect has sort of been dissipated over time because people start to you know, anticipate it, so they start to buy in December. So it doesn't quite exist. Nonetheless, it's interesting to see what people are willing to do after you know a couple of weeks off, after perhaps closing their their books, especially if they're hedge funds, you know, in the fourth quarter to not incur sort of unnecessary losses once year end. So if you look at the market activity in the first few days, you know, I think the one sort of real kind of takeaway I had from it is there's still pretty low conviction uh, from investors on where exactly things will play out for the economy. Um, still a lot of caution, and unwillingness think to take sort of big directional bets. I think sentiment is still, you know, kind of fairly negative in terms of, of the outlook. People believing that there's uh, you know, more downside to go in equities before we hit a bottom and sort of start a real sustainable rally. I mean, that's that's you know, our view at this point in time that we hit that those conditions aren't yet in place. Uh, and so, what I see even yesterday after the you know the data came out in the morning, uh, when we had the ISM data, we had the Jolts data in the morning at 10 a.m. and then at 2 p.m. we got the the FOMC minutes. 
throughout the day, if you look at the S&P 100, it sort of, you know, opened higher, reacted negatively to the jolts data because it seemed to suggest labor market is still too strong. Market rallied back during the day, sold off initially off to the FOMC minutes, but then people realized, well, there's actually not a lot of new information, so it rallied a little bit from there. So collectively, it sort of suggests a little bit of like investors unsure of exactly where we're going, you know, could inflation continue to kind of come down? Could the labor market cool without significant further you know, rate hikes? Or is growth still holding up you know, better than people expect? So I think there's sort of low conviction is the way I would sort of be classified. Um, even some data, you know, one of my colleagues shared yesterday in terms of investor positioning within the rates market, more people sort of went to neutral on the view in terms of duration as opposed to being either long or short. So again, I think it suggests a lack of conviction to some extent as we start the year. People want to see the data, want to get a clear sense of, in terms of the growth path, you know, is it a mild recession? Is that kind of a done deal? Could it have been a hard landing? Or could we even get a soft landing you know, scenario? So I think those things are still on the table. I think that's kind of reflected in the price action where people are, are cautious right now making big directional calls given the sort of the ambiguity of the data that we have at the moment. So just putting aside for a moment the labor market as well as inflation implications, both, of course, very important market considerations, market drivers. I, I have to believe, Jason, there's more out there on the minds of investors. Are there any other factors come to mind for you that you believe will influence market performance throughout the course of 2023? Well, I think about from a policy perspective, uh, what's going on in, in the U.S. and globally last year and continuing to this year, you know, we start the year with a pretty dramatic change in what's going on in China in terms of their relaxation late last year with zero COVID policies. It's led to a pretty sizable surge in COVID cases uh, that's had an impact on economic activity there, on mobility. Uh, but it also looks like perhaps that peak of that you know COVID wave is, is, is we're at hand and we'll start moderating. Um, this is sort of a surprise in terms of how quickly the Chinese policymakers decided to drop those measures. The view, even as, as soon as or as late as mid-November or early December, was that it wouldn't be until kind of the middle of this year. It's already happened, which means China's sort of reopening and sort of kind of full normalization from the pandemic uh, could happen much earlier than expected. You know, as soon as in you know, late Q1, we can start to see signs of kind of normalization of activity and sort of acceleration of growth. So I think that's a big sort of story that will will, will drive things. We know from our own recovery from COVID and sort of, you know, the opening up, that you can get different waves, things kind of evolve in fits and starts. Uh, so I think while things look like they could progress in China, you know, you're quicker than expected. We also know that there's going to be bumps in the road. So that, that's certainly one key driver, just especially because China is such a big part of the global economy. And given what it does, policy stimulus, its growth has knock-on effects for other parts of the world, whether it's Europe, whether it's also commodity prices. And that, that ultimately could be a little bit inflationary, which given we're trying to deal with inflation, you know, that's an important story. Uh, the situation in Ukraine, the Ukraine war, how that plays out, uh, it, it continues to be a source of risks. I think given this, this, the current status, it's less disruptive than it was certainly early on, uh, at least for Europe, at least the European economy. The good news is that because weather has been warmer than expected there, they've actually been refilling during the winter their kind of natural gas supplies and their sort of inventory reserves, which is not typically the case. So I think the concerns that could European economy really be hampered by that this winter, I think that's looking less and less likely is now we're in early January. Of course, by March, the weather starts to warm up a little bit that I think they, you know, those worst fears have been put to rest. But until there's some sort of clear path to resolution or de-escalation in Ukraine, it's going to be a potential source of risks throughout the year. Um, turning to the U.S. and the political front, you know, we can see what's going on with, with your Congress and in trying to nominate a speaker for the House. Um, one of the concerns, you know, and ultimately, you know, they will 
you know, presumably, you know, have a speaker settled hopefully sooner rather than later. But given the difficulties, at least within the Republican Party, to nominate and, and vote on and approve a speaker, I think the, the market's takeaway from this is like this is a perhaps negative sign for what it means ultimately for the key fiscal story this year, which is raising the debt ceiling, which is likely to happen at some point around the summer, at least a need to happen then. Um, so there could, you know, in the past when this has been an issue, we've always kind of come to the edge and then it's been passed, the debt ceiling has been raised. That's still likely the case this year, but I think we could be the most sort of stressful situation for markets since 2011. That was a lot of time it had to be raised. There's concerns about the U.S. The credit rating being downgraded. Markets will react negatively, and of course, we could kind of go past the brink where we're in sort of unprecedented territory. So that's a risk for later on down the year. Uh, and then central banks still continue to raise rates, um, you, know, you know, from the Fed to the ECB. But the other part of the story is, um, you know, quantitative tightening. Central banks at the Fed start to reduce its balance sheet in the second half of last year. It's been relatively modest thus far, but I think the impact of that quantitative tightening will start to bite a little bit more this year, potentially pose some risks. And I think you'll see other central banks, you know, certainly the ECB or the Bank of England, uh, stopping bond purchases and also accelerating the reduction. So globally, the size, the size of sort of the central bank balance sheet, you know, will shrink at sort of an accelerating rate. Again, with some implications that are, are hard to predict, but we know it again it's a source of risk. So I think those are collectively from the geopolitical front, the policy front, some of the other kind of big dynamics that we will be watching will be driving markets this year, in addition to you know, the inflation story, the labor market story, and the growth story you know, domestically and abroad. Okay, so quite a mix there of risk considerations, all of which will, of course, keep an eye on throughout the course of the year to see how markets are perhaps influenced. So the big question, Jason, becomes, with everything that you've shared with us from an investor's point of view, how should I think about positioning at the start of the year here with everything coming down the pike, potentially? that you walked us through. Yeah, I mentioned that there was kind of maybe low conviction in terms of investors uh, making big, strong investment calls because of the uncertainty of the economic data. What we do know is for the U.S. economy, a lot of the leading indicators point to slowing growth ahead, uh, and that's, that's likely to play out. Uh, we know wage growth is still high. As long as that's the case, the Fed has to raise rates and tighten policy, and that's other central banks are still doing that. So as long as you have that mix of slowing growth, still high inflation, high wage growth, and central banks that are trying to combat that, that's a headwind for risk assets, uh, which is why there's a you know, pretty strong consensus view that for, for risk assets uh, that you know, they're likely to go lower uh, and then just in the first half of this year uh, before things start to improve later on down the line. Now, you always want to be cautious of thinking that you know, sometimes when something is so consensus, this could be wrong, but you know, consensus can be right. It is our view that we haven't, don't have the conditions in place for equities to start a clear, new, sustainable bull market. Um, that setting the risk reward was probably skewed to the downside. You know, I think it's a little, the, the challenge there is, I think because it is so consensus and people do believe there will be inflection points, I think there's also a strong sort of bid for investors either to buy treasuries if the 10 year yield gets above 4%, because then people will think, well, the direction of travel is rates are likely to go lower because of recession could materialize later this year, and Treasuries will provide you that projection. At the same time, if equities decline, you know, much more from where they are, I think there's investors who say they could go lower. But at that point in time, I start to see some more attractive kind of valuations and upside, especially when things turn. I can't time the turn. So I think you start to get a lot of resistance in the market levels. We'll say when the S&P 100 starts to get around 36, 3700, if we get to those levels. So I think you need to be cautious near term, which is why our sector allocation skews more defensive. We have sort of an overall kind of up in quality theme across equities, but also fixed income, where you can get yield without having to take a lot of credit risk at this point in time, which is why we like things like 
you know, high quality investment grade corporate bonds, you know, with shorter maturities like one to three year, you know, agency mortgage backed securities, which are basically triple A securities, but that have decent spread relative to treasuries. So things along those lines. Because until we get some clarity and you know the exact path we're gonna take and, and we kinda of get the inflection points we expect this year where policy doesn't flex and growth stops slowing and starts to at least slowly start to improve, until those become clear, I think we're in this environment where you just have to kind of be prepared to kind of batten down the hatches and, and ride out, you know, some winter storms, even though right now, you know, at least the weather in parts of the country is relatively mild, but we saw what happened in December. So I think we have to kind of be prepared for that at least for a few more months until we get some of that data to give a clear indication of, of how things could play out. Um, because in some ways, it's the strong labor market data that I alluded to earlier, that is a reason why the risk is skewed for the Fed to do even more hikes than is currently priced. And if that happens, that certainly becomes a challenge for, for financial markets at some point this year as well. Well, without question, it sounds like it will be yet another eventful year, especially monitoring macroeconomic conditions, monetary policy here in the U.S. throughout the course of the first half. But Jason, I know you'll be keeping our listeners, our clients informed on the chief investment office's views and recommendations along the way here on the CIO Strategy Snapshot podcast series. So, Jason, thank you for dropping by here this morning to kick off the year, providing your take on how things are shaping up thus far, how to think about positioning accordingly, and do look forward to our weekly conversations throughout the course of 2023. You're welcome, Dan, and hopefully you know, we're up to decent start for the year, and hopefully that continues so we don't repeat the, uh, the difficult challenges of 2022. Absolutely. Here's hoping. Thank you again, Jason. Appreciate it. And again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. I do want to point our listeners, especially our clients of UBS, to Jason's most recent blog, that title, appropriately enough, First Impressions here at the start of 2023. So that blog, First Impressions, now available for you up on UBS.com slash CIO. If you are a client of UBS, simply reach out to your UBS financial advisor to receive a copy of Jason Dreho's blog, First Impressions, directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.